Marvel's Avengers underperforms. And Mass Effect Legendary Edition announced. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saul Bridges. Leading you guys into the episode like we normally do, where you can find out more about us at the end of the show. And we're going to focus on the strong stuff, putting our foot forward. Brett, what have you been playing this week? I've been playing nothing but Arkham Knight. Uh, And I've made the decision, because I was kind of waiting. In my head, I was, do I want to start something new and potentially have it to where I'm trying to wrangle feeling like I need to finish something before PS5 comes out. And if I want to have my mind on something else, and right now, the only thing I have my mind on is Arkham Knight and finally getting a platinum in the Arkham series. So it's going to be Arkham Knight. I've gotten all the Riddler trophies. Um, I, well, I don't wrong. It's, it's, it was like 60% enjoyable and 40% just kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, and that's how I've always felt about those. And I think that the Riddler trophies are a big reason I've never went about getting the Platinums in those games. But um, looking more at you know the rest of the thing, it's interesting. So now that I've got that done and I've got that out of the way, I've decided to go ahead and go in the New Game Plus, which I've never done on one of these games. And it locks you into a new difficulty that's more than hard. Because if I'm not mistaken on the normal game, hard ends up turning off uh, counter prompts and stuff like that. This one's even more. It's called Nightmare Difficulty. It's apparently been the same at least on City, maybe even as far back as Asylum, where when you're doing New Game Plus, enemy uh, locations and what they have from a, a equipment standpoint changes completely. So one of your first encounters can have someone using an in-game weapon that can do massive damage, but also you carry all your stuff forward so you're more equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I immediately went to New Game Plus yesterday because the trophy I need that's in regard to New Game Plus is facing against Scarecrow. So you got to essentially beat the game on New Game Plus. And... When I started looking at this, I was like, okay, yeah, there's no counter prompts. Enemies are completely different than they were the time before. They'll come in with way higher level stuff than they would have had otherwise, which is kind of cool, actually. But in playing that game without doing any side content and knowing exactly what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go, it's very short. Last night, I got the Riddler trophies finished, fought Riddler, Started New Game Plus in about two and a half to three hours. I got to about 35% of the story done, maybe 40. I'm playing right now, and I think I'm at 56, and I played for about an hour today. So if you know what you're doing, you can fly through that game. Yeah. Woo! (laughs) So I'm very close. I'm at the point where um, I've gotten on to, for anybody who's played it, I've gotten on to the Founder's Island where you have to take down the anti- whatever missiles that can keep you from searching for the cloud burst and all that stuff. So pretty far doing pretty good. Can't wait to see what else is going on uh, from a change standpoint. I doubt there's going to be a lot of changes, but I figure with where, where we're at right now, it's Sunday. I've got to do podcast Monday. I've got to finish editing something that's coming uh, tomorrow for you patrons. Same day as this, you're going to get early access to something that's going to start being once a month. You'll see and hear a little bit more about that next week, but I figure I'll have four days before the PlayStation gets here for me to focus on getting the Platinum. Once I get New Game Plus crushed down, I can go back to my normal uh, game that has 100% and do uh, get all the stars that I need to get on the AR trials. There's a couple of things that are annoying that remind me of Infamous 1's 
trophy list, which I was so glad did not come through to Infamous 2s or Infamous Second Son, where you've got to do like certain combos and whatnot in order to get a platinum or to, go, to get a trophy. One of them is to, in one fight, do 15 different combat moves. And that's more like... It's not like throw a fist a specific way because, you know, naturally you move their animations, but it's more like, oh, I'm going to have to throw out an ice grenade and free somebody that way and then stun them with the electric stun gun and then hit them with a batarang and then set some explosive gel on the ground and roll out of the way and blow them up and then do a ground takedown. It's all that kind of stuff. It's very annoying. <laughs> and then there's one that I'm not exactly sure of or two. One's easy. It's you, it's called Trial Through the Jungle or something, and you have to fly through all three bridges in the game between the three islands without landing, which is easy. But there's one that's hover for so many yards or hover for so long while only being 20 meters above the ground of Gotham. I'm not exactly sure how to do that. I'm going to trophy guide that one up. Yeah, that sounds weird. <laughs> but that's my only goal is to end off the PlayStation 4, like specifically playing on the PlayStation 4, um, with a platinum of a game that coming back around to has been much better than I feel like it lived in my memory. And I'm really glad for that. There's some bittersweet stuff with the nightfall protocol ending in that, that I do find like, I think that what the developers are doing is like, well, this is clearly our, we're going off away from this series with this game, but so are you in a sense. So it's, you have a little bit of a gameplay mechanism that pulls together that feeling of, Oh, it's bittersweet that this is like the last time I'm going to be Batman in an Arkham universe game. Right. So that was cool. And something I think that the Spider-Man series would be very bold to do. I think a lot of gaming series are not that way. They don't want to be like, well, this is it. This is kind of where we are. But it would be really cool if Spider-Man ends up going out while it's on top. Because one of the things about the Arkham thing that I was talking with Chris about is the feeling that as much as I do like Arkham Knight it does kind of feel like it launched with some things weighing it down in a way that it almost seems like the order of games should have been like Asylum and then Night and then City from the way that they, from the way that the reception was as well as growing. It's never going to be perfect. Of course, you can't put the story of Night before City. That's impossible. But from a gameplay standpoint, there's some weird choices that I think may have pampered its final outing, but that's okay. It's still a good game and I really enjoy it. Someone unlocked my seat. Don't look at me. I know it wasn't you. It was that man, Casey. It's okay. Anyway, what have you been playing? Well, I think you missed out one because we played Among Us for our community play. And we're doing another one. Uh, It'll be the day after this comes out, that Tuesday, uh, which will probably be the, what is it, the 11th? Mm. The 10th. Tuesday the 10th. And uh, I think we're going to do that one at 6 p.m. That sounds right. 6 p.m. CST, 4 p.m. PST, 7 EST. If you just want us to cover all the bases, at least in the Americas. I don't know any of the other time conversions, so I can't help you if you're overseas. <laughs> I'd love to. Not going to happen. Yeah, uh, you missed out me getting sloppy drunk. <laughs> that was that was a fun night just because it's been a long while since I drank whiskey. And I had a little bit of whiskey that night. And it all hit me at once. And I was sitting there playing. And I, and I was... Rude days. I killed rude days as the imposter, and then y'all voted me out. And I'm like, I don't even know that map, anyways. So like, I was trying to explain like I could be up in the top corner. Like I don't know anything about this map. I've never played that map until which then. made you far more suspicious when you actually were the imposter than you really needed. 
Yeah, because I didn't know what I didn't know how to blend in. I didn't know how to. I didn't know <laughs> what was the task. I couldn't. I and at the same time, rude days turned around and killed me. <laughs> so like it was a fun. It was a fun night. Um, we'll probably play at least for me the same amount of time. I'll probably play three or four games. Um, we only played I think two games, didn't we? The games no, lasted a little bit longer. I think we did about three games. Okay, yeah, but we, it will definitely be. It's are, something I want to do a little bit more of too. I think I had something come up that pulled me away from it a little bit but tuesday i won't so yeah and for me it's just it gets into like like eating and um going to sleep territory because i go to sleep fairly early on the weeknights saul's a he's weak i'm kidding i'm weak i like saul to like sleep i I, I do too i get my seven to eight hours of sleep every day it's important (laughs) that and stay hydrated um but i uh, other than among us i only played one game this week and it was risk of rain two and i'm still kind of really enjoying that I've been trying to tackle the monsoon difficulty, which is like ridiculously hard compared to um, rainstorm. Yeah, it goes drizzle, rainstorm, monsoon as the difficulties because it's a risk of rain. And uh, (laughs) man, I I really enjoy that game. Um, It's just it's the perfect roguelike, uh, roguelite, whatever you want to call it um, for me. And. The community is pretty pretty funny and pretty cool too to browse the subreddit and stuff like that. And I've been looking for a game that is so fast paced and you are constantly in motion, you're constantly doing something, and late game for that certainly fits that bill perfectly um, for what I've been looking for. So if anybody else has any roguelites or roguelikes to recommend to me, let me know because I'm interested in playing them. Um, they could be on PC or PS4, but give them give me them recommendations. I'll play them. Um, but there has been a weird thing go through my mind of any game because here in there's this, this next month for us is going to be interesting because uh, tomorrow, uh, the day that the, the day this episode goes live on Monday, we should be getting our package in from our sponsor manscaped, which will give us an adequate amount of time to actually use it. It'll give us a full week to test the products out and stuff so that when we report back on Sunday, when we record, um, it'll be kind of cool. But then we'll be doing, this uh, the next episode after this one will be our retrospective of this current generation and how we look back on it and stuff about that. And then after that, I think we're going to do game of the generation uh, awards. Yeah, that's, that's the series of the next few episodes. Just to give you an idea, next episode, very little, probably no news. It's just going to be a retrospective on this past generation, things that we expected to happen that didn't. <clears throat> Things that we wished would have happened, things that came out of nowhere and completely surprised us. Uh, so we're going to offer that up as uh, something for you to partake in. We're still going to have a community state question, though. So you'll have two ways to come in and be part of the episode next week as part of the community. We hope you'll give us things that you loved and, and didn't like, whatever, about this this last generation. But after that, of course, it will be games of the generation, and we're going to go through. I kind of debated, and I told Saul, like, you know, there's a lot of cross-gen games, so you have this opportunity to extend this. But I think I like the idea of capping it now and saying, like, the only game I can really think of that will be missing out on this list if we do it now is Cyberpunk. Well, I... I but Cyberpunk could also be delayed again. I don't think it, could it will be. be but but also, I won't... I'm weird with cross-generation games. I don't consider them part of the generation that is entering. And that's kind of, well, it's weird, I, but that's why I think, right, they're the bastard games in a sense, because they don't feel like they're, com- they don't feel like they're completely made only for this gen. 
Yeah, like it feels like that they were made for this current gen, and then they're just being enhanced for last yeah. gen in some, but then some they feel like that they are just not optimized well, and it feels like they really shouldn't have come out at all. And see, I guess the reason I was saying like we could hold off, right, is having titles like Horizon Zero Dawn 2 or Forbidden West, whatever you want to call it, as well as the next God of War game, likely, from what we're hearing from uh, Jim Ryan, be cross-gen Gran Turismo 7. Sounds like it's likely going to be cross-gen. Again, we don't know for sure. But a lot of the titles seem to be having an opportunity for the exclusives even to be cross-gen, let alone more of the third-party games. But when you get start getting that deep into a generation... Cross-gen games weren't that common in the last couple of generations in that same sense, besides like sports games. So it feels weird. I think it feels good to cap it off. I guess I'll throw it out there to you. We have a little bit of time between then. If you think we should wait to let things like Cyberpunk be included, then we will wait. But otherwise, if we don't hear back from enough of you, we're going to push forward and then ask you for what your feedback is on the games of the generation. Yeah, and honestly, I think next generation and cross-gen games are going to be a little different, too, because of how well-optimized they are, whereas previously that's Hopefully kind of the least. reason. Yeah, yeah, the, the hopeful um, hopefulness of that, because that's kind of the reason I won't consider them current-generation games when they come out, or, or last-generation games when they come out. This is going to be very confusing, but I don't consider Call of Duty Ghost this generation. I consider it last-generation, yeah. because it, it came out last-generation, too, and I feel yeah. like it was held back by last-generation. I don't think that that's going to be the problem with God of War 2 and Horizon 2. I don't think that that will be. I don't think we'll we'll be held back. I might eat my words come eight years from now when we do our, our look back at this coming generation. I but, certainly hope they don't feel held back. But, but uh, uh, speaking of which, though, like the reason I brought all this up is that I am going to be doing uh, Let's Plays of various games um, or continue on doing Let's Plays of various games on games that I consider games of the generation and i think was it top five or top ten what are we gonna do i think we're gonna do within ourselves top five okay just to make it a little harder on ourselves yeah so i have two more games to play. <clears throat> and then what we're gonna do as well in that episode if we do go forward with it as you guys will hopefully be the judge of then we're gonna ask you to do your mentions and we're gonna kind of keep a list of games and the ones that get mentioned the most will, uh, you know, the one that has the most mentions will be the community's game of the generation. So you, you got a lot of uh, agency coming up here. And if you want your game to be there, you're going to push campaign for your game to get more votes. I swear. <laughs> I really, it would be interesting if someone does that. Like, listen, I really want Fallout 76 to be game yeah, of the generation. Yeah, I was going to say if, like, that gets game of the generation. Um but anyways, hey, if that's your game of the generation, you tell us. Uh, anyways, now on to you, beautiful people, doing the community's take, which actually came from one of you, beautiful people, the one that you killed. And listen, <laughs> listen, Rude Days killed me back, so we're even it's until true. Tuesday. If he plays on Tuesday, then I'll, I'm I'm out for him. But uh, he asked us, and we asked you guys last episode, what is your biggest gaming? regret based on your spending you know something that you had bought that just wasn't what you hoped for and what is something that you regret spending the money on and it's only related to gaming and interestingly enough let me find it because i have the the most interesting one uh for me um matt green (laughs) and he says animal crossing for our last she's never off the bloody thing so that is a negative and a positive yeah it was like you regret buying the money because it's that good of a game. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's honestly my favorite. 
um, answer out of all these because they have a lot of similar answers where they regret it because they 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 didn't spend enough time with the game because they didn't like it and then that sixty dollars wasted kind of thing where this is the exact opposite. Yeah, you know while we're talking about Animal Crossing, uh, also Matt Green's one of our patrons. Thanks you, thank you, man. Uh, thank Kiki, you, one of our other patrons, he says Animal Crossing was super hyped. Played for about two months nonstop. Now it just sits there collecting dust, which I think is an interesting thing, right? Because these types of games, if you play a single-player game for two months nonstop and then you move on and you never touch it again, you don't feel like you wasted money on it. I don't think most people would. Yeah. But because of a game like Animal Crossing being this game of... Play every day. The idea, at least, when you go to buy it, I'll be able to play this every day, and I'm stretching this $60 so far. But the reality comes down for a lot of people, I think, is that you end up playing it in line with how much you'd play a normal game. And then eventually your brain kind of gets its fill of like, well, I feel like I've done what I needed to do in this game. And it's only the thing that you bought it going into it thinking it was going to be like a game that would last you the generation that I think goes into it. And it's not to say that it can't. Yeah. I've seen people come back to animal crossing years later and pick right back into it and start having fun with it again. But that also comes down to that weird thing of just playing a game for nonstop two months. And Kiki, I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just, it's one of those interesting things where for me, from my perspective, playing a game nonstop for two months is great. It's like, I, that's a good purchase. If you can play a game nonstop for two months and really enjoy that two months, that's awesome. And if you know, once you finally get done with it, one of the things that's good about Animal Crossing, but also bad, it's the same with Pokemon, is you have every right in the world to trade it and it retains pretty good trade value. But with that trade value goes every bit of the work you just put into it. See, for me too, that's interesting with that because one of the reasons I got Retroid, uh like Retroid coming is is that I can relive some nostalgic old games and stuff like that. And I never, I never really thought about trade value in the sense of the past of you playing the game. Because like, like with Animal Crossing, it's, it's all for nothing when you trade it in. Oh, yeah. Like the, so it's like you're getting, let's say the trade value on Animal Crossing is $45, which it probably is somewhere around $40. Uh, that's $45 of a quick immediate gain for if you ever decide to come back to that game. You have to There restart. is no cloud saves. That's, that's not the way those games work. There, is, to- there is cloud saves, I thought. Or they, they were disabled at launch. Did they come back? I, I think so. I sure hope so. But, you know, that's definitely true of the Pokemon game. Your save is not on your system. Your save is on that cart. So it's very much Nintendo wanting to decentivize you from trading it off. And there's a good and a bad to that. There's a great thing about spending hours upon hours building something up and then having to actually go through the thing of, do I really want to trade this through? A great example, right? They did add cloud saves. Cool. I'm glad they did. So, um, but one of the things that always gets me, and I'm sure you know at least one person who's been like this, my brother in particular has bought Grand Theft Auto five multiple times, Skyrim. And when I say multiple times, I'm saying he's bought it, traded it in, bought it, traded it in for both of those games, at least 10 times. He's done the same with Oblivion. There is a handful of games that he will get a system Go through, buy again, buy again, buy again. It's just, it's ridiculous. And you start going like, how much money have you spent on that game? I've talked about it in relation to digital purchases before, but how much money have you spent on that game at this point to where, is it even worth it? Thank you. Have you, like, what have you done? And that's the real argument for people who know that they have that tendency and regret trading it in. The upside to having the locked digital, no real ownership rights is that you can't screw up. (laughs) and sell something that you actually want to play 
three months down the line. But at the same time, you don't have the freedom to stop and do what you want to. But that's kind of one of those things where if every game had that level of commitment to it, where it was like your save is tied to this disc, this cartridge, whatever, and if you really want to trade this game to get that value, you can. But something comes with it. Now, the downside to that is that it does take away player freedom. And there's, but I think it does add an extra layer to like, are you sure you want to get rid of this game? And I think it would be a good and a bad thing. It's, it's for each person, it'd probably weigh differently. But I think a lot of people end up regretting trading. While we're talking about regrets, I think a lot of people end up regretting trading games in. Oh, they do because you have these mood swings where you go because like you you brought up your brother. I've done that. I bought Grand Theft Auto Five like four times now. I've bought Skyrim like four times now. Um, and it's and that's what happens. You trade it in, and you're like, I, you're like, I'm not in the mood to play this game right now, and I don't I don't foresee myself ever being in that mood. And you trade it in, and you're like, this is a good deal. I'm going to get this game now, and you play that game. But then like six months or a year goes by, and you are all of a sudden in the mood to play it. And you're like, wow, I thought I would have learned my lesson last time. And you don't. You know, that's a weird thing with PS Plus games, too. Then we'll get more answers. But sometimes PS Plus games end up swinging around to where it's like, I traded in Arkham Knight. And then I randomly got in the mood to do it. And I thought, wait a minute. I got it for free on PS Plus. So it, it kind of acts as a savior to that sometimes. Where you've bought a game and traded it and bought it and traded it. Or you bought it, traded it, thought you'd never play it again. And then lo and behold, four years later, you are, or five years later, you want to play it again. Uh-huh. And suddenly it's like, wait a minute, we got it on PS Plus. Some people get mad if it's been a game that they've played in the past. But like for me, I traded Vampire. And I was kind of like, you know what? I should have gone for Platinum on Vampire. So now whenever I get the itch to play it, I have it. Yeah. That's awesome. Some other answers that are pretty funny. <laughs> a lot of these are pretty funny. Ooh, excuse me. Figs, 21K, Mr. Chris, as you all know him. He said, I spent $90 on Red Dead Redemption 2 and played for five hours. F that game. Look, 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 Chris. If you saw that game, play online. Me and Brett will play online with you because you saw that game, don't you? I do, but why are you looping me into something that I don't want to do? Because we could be cowboys <laughs> in can the I wild, be, wild west. Can I, be some, or can I be Will Smith? Can I be Loveless? You mean, well, do you want to be loveless? Absolutely, I do. I want to talk with this kind of accent. <laughs> I would love to do that. If you could actually go through the level of character creation to where you could have your character be on a wheelchair with only half of his body. Okay, so you probably couldn't do that. But, like, there has been, I, I can't think of what it was. It was either German. No, it was Father oh. Gascoigne. Somebody made Father Gascoigne their Red Dead character, and it looks just like him. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I'm, I feel like there are people who have played Red Dead and have created the whole Tombstone gang. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> if you like true. that. If you like Tombstone. You know what I mean. Uh, Vinny Jimmy, our good buddy Vincent, he says, Anthem. It will always be a thorn in my side. So hyped and spent so much. Everyone was going to get it and then basically died in less than a week. You know, if you still have that game, I'm sure Brett will play with you eventually. I absolutely will. It's the sad part. Uh, you know, I got to say, the interesting thing here is that I understand that Anthem came and went. And it's like, I, I love how you said everyone was going to get it. And then it basically died in less than a week. I think what's weird about Anthem is that Anthem actually sold very well. So the implication there is that everyone got it. Mm-hmm. Then it died in a week. It was like Evolve. Uh, wait, yeah. Evolve, wasn't it? I don't think Evolve did very well at all. I don't, I don't think it sold well. No, I think... Let alone did it not do well from a standpoint of a critical acclaim or people retaining playing it, but I don't think the game performed well either I th- uh, from I a sales standpoint. Did. 
But I, I can't say for certain. I just I, I thought that the consensus around it was that overall it was a failure. Which, to be fair, one of the things about our thing or about this industry is that you can be a fail. You can be a failure that sold well and still be a stain on the industry in a sense. Because I want to say, wasn't it evolved that like a month after launch they came out with like three dollar skins? That sounds about right. And that was like the only way to change your skin was like it's like a monster you had to pay three dollars or something. I might be wrong, but like I do distinctly remember that game having skins that you had to buy. It may not be what forced you to uh, to sure to have customization. Hey Vince, if you ever want to play it, hit me up. I do enjoy the game. If it's coming back into it, I, I almost wish because I've got the platinum on PlayStation now. Just to have more of a reason to kind of play through it again, I almost wish that crossplay did exist already because the game is absolutely gorgeous on One X. It does look good on PS4 Pro. I'm not hating on it there, but the game looks kind of crazy on One X. And I'd like to have a reason to play it more on One X. But, yeah, hit me up. Uh, next one, let's see. We're going to go grab one off Facebook real quick. I thought this one was really funny. Jeff Schrock said, the PlayStation Classic at full price. A day later, it dropped to 50 or 60 bucks. You know what's funny is that there's levels to that. I saw people who bought it for fifty or sixty dollars, and then a day later it dropped to twenty. Yeah, I bought the PlayStation Classic on Amazon for fourteen ninety nine, if I recall correctly, during one of the Amazon Day deals. It might have been nineteen ninety nine, but yeah, I have it and have woefully underplayed it. So I can only imagine people who spent full price on it. He said another one was that he bought a Wii U instead of a Switch just to save 100 bucks and play Breath of the Wild. Never touched the thing after, and the Switch was still brand new, so I didn't end up having another chance to buy one for like a year. That's rough. That is rough. Yeah, you should not have bought the Wii U. Definitely since almost every Wii U game worth playing has come to the Switch. Outside of the Switch, I mean the, the Wii U remasters, or yeah, I guess they're remasters of the Zelda games. Wind Waker should be on Switch by now. Yeah, those games should be. Um, Shafe Dog, I hey. love that name, one of our patrons, he says, a Panasonic 3DO. I don't know what this is. You don't know the 3DO? No. Oh, it's a disc-based gaming system. And it was... Oh, and man. Made by Panasonic? <laughs> yeah. Is this an American thing? Yes. He says... It was. He I bought mean. Naughty Dog's Way of the Warrior. So Naughty Dog made a thing for this game. And he said, because I saw it being played and I loved how bloody it was... Once I fired it up for myself, I realized how bad the gameplay and mechanics were. Still thought that the consoles would be great, but games quickly stopped being released. Street Fighter 2 was a highlight on it, but in that, in the end, I quickly dumped it for a Sega Saturn, and I'm not even sure I was happy about that decision either. <laughs> that one made me laugh probably more than any of them, because as soon as I read that he bought a Sega Saturn, that is a very similar situation where it had just a few games throughout its very short lifetime that were worth anything. Um, 3DO was a very come-and-go system. Uh, it, it's, I don't even know really how to describe it, but yeah, The Way of the Warrior was, I think, Naughty Dog's first game, or, or one of their earliest games, and then they moved from Way of the Warrior to creating Crash Bandicoot, which oh, is this is, is this very, system older than Crash? Yes, that, that system came out before the Saturn. The Saturn came out after the PS1, if I remember correctly. I think the Saturn was 1996. Oh, so it's just a Mortal Kombat ripoff. 95. So, oh, the Saturn kind of came out right alongside PlayStation in a lot of ways. Crazy. The yeah. Saturn was uh, The Saturn is the game system that was infamous for being 
announced on stage as available now, and no one knew what it was prior. Sega came up on stage and like, well, our next system is Sacred Saturn, and you can go buy it now. And there was no games, nothing. <laughs> this game is just a Mortal Kombat ripoff. Oh, Way of the Warrior? Yes, it yeah, absolutely I've never is. seen this game until now. Yeah, very much so. Yucky. But it led to Naughty Dog. Uh, if you remember, I don't know if you know this. I can't remember exactly the name. I think it's called like Rocket something. But Sucker Punch's first game was a Nintendo 64 game. Uh, and it was called like Rocket Wheels or something. Let me go look. Rocket Robot on Wheels was a Nintendo 64 platformer from Sucker Punch Entertainment. Published by Ubisoft. What a weird combination. And that game looks nowhere near <laughs> what I thought it would be. Yeah, That game is not familiar to me at all. Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting seeing where some of these long running PlayStation developers started, and then normally their first games are not that good, or they don't they're not received that well, if nothing else. So, uh, going back to Rude Days '93, he already kind of gave his, but he's bringing it back up again for one the Nintendo the Nintendo DS Guitar Hero game. But he said a close second he'll throw out there is the 360 Connect. At the time, I saw this as the future of gaming, and the technology was pretty revolutionary. Unfortunately, I think it was still too early for it, and the games weren't ready yet for it either. I didn't buy the Xbox One at launch and waited for them to stop bundling the Connect with it before finally getting one. I'm in a small minority, I'm sure, but I hope, I kind of hope Microsoft tries with the Connect again when the tech and games can be better. Imagining VR where you can move around and do everything without the controller, pretty much making the movie Ready Player One come to life. That brings up an interesting conversation I've had plenty of times with people about AR versus VR and VR that uses no controller and what it does for a sense of immersion. And I think if VR is supposed to be putting you into the world, and I always thought this was true even of like the Kinect, the Kinect never felt responsive enough, partially because it didn't have controllers, but I think the other thing always came down to, it feels awkward to fake hold a gun when there's nothing there and then pull a trigger with no kind of feedback. And I think that even though the PS Move was ultimately just as doomed as the play, as the Kinect was, at least you had feedback in your hand like you know when you're playing a sword game and you swing you have something in your hand that you're feeling and you kind of know where you're coming from and when you play with the sharpshooter you have some kind of feedback and when you look at the psvr now and the psvr aim gun that they use having something that you can really put into your shoulder and hold it like a gun and aim it and move it i don't know that you can really replicate that with a without a controller in hand i think it's the reason that you see most vr that is highly acclaimed VR that has controllers and that's why people put so much impotence uh, importance rather on um, making sure that you have a great VR controller like you look at something like Half-Life, Half-Life Alex. one of the great things about it is that the controllers are set up to where you have a fine level of control over what you can do and the precision's there and it makes the game feel that much more immersive and I just I'm, I don't know that there's really a future where unless it's doing the if I'm not mistaken, Saul, you you probably know the answer. Sword Art Online. Isn't it supposed to be that it jacks into your nervous system or what you feel in the game is what you feel in real life? Bro, I haven't watched the anime since it first came out. I have Me no either. idea. But I'm pretty... I know that because the whole thing was that when you died in the game, you died in real life because it was tied to your nervous system. Anyway, I think that's about the only way that could really work is if you go so far past that you don't have to have anything because it's just in your nervous system and you end up feeling things because the game is programmed to touch your nerve to where you feel like there's a gun in your hand, not that you're just imagining it. Not saying I'm against them trying again, but 
I don't know. Right now, I'm not sold. So there's a concept suit called like the the T T one something, mm-hmm. and it is essentially like a latex bodysuit that you wear. That That's have, got nodes on it, probably. Yeah, it has nodes on it. And like so, like let's say if you're gonna hold a gun, the nodes press against your hand mm-hmm. to make it feel like there's you're holding a gun. And that, like, if you okay, if you fire the gun, it does it, it, the the suit itself will receive vibrations and kicks. Now that it's a concept suit, so it's not even in production at, at any point right now. Yeah, but that's the future of VR, in my opinion. It's like when you get into a full body suit that you can wear that has that kind of feeling to it. So here's where I really stand, though, is I'm not saying that that's not good for other things, but specifically in how it regards to holding a gun, that is a level of immersion where, like, when you get shot, it can it can hit an actuator to make it feel like you got shot in the chest. Yeah. Like, not hard, but just enough to give you a sense of bodily feedback. But I still don't see where not having an actual gun in your hand is going to be better than just still having a gun in your hand, even with that suit on. Because think of one of the things about playing... Um, Firewall Zero Hour on PSVR is that it feels good to have the fulcrum that having a gun or a gun-like thing creates where it's resting in your shoulder and you can kind of swing your outer arm to move it and you feel that fulcrum and it's actually solidly there in your hands. You can't replicate that with actuators, again, unless you're actually holding something. So it's a very weird idea. I do like that you at least into the idea of Connect. I don't think that actually a lot of people who loved Connect love Connect. Even if it's just because of the benefits that it had of being a voice command system for your Xbox. But time will tell whether they go there again. Seemingly unlikely looking at where Microsoft is moving. I'm a little surprised that there's no talk of VR at all from them. I don't think that they care. And it's just not in line with the Game Pass, so they don't care right now. That's true. Yeah, and like, what was it? Um, The Xbox Series X doesn't even have a Kinect port, right? I don't think so, yeah. So unless they want to do something like Sony's doing with the PlayStation camera where it just plugs into a USB and has a box that converts the signal to where the system knows what it's doing. Yeah. It's possible. Going to go grab some from Facebook. More from there. This one's pretty interesting. Josh Shoop says, Xbox One X. I had an S about a year before and sold it because of lack of use. I purchased the One X thinking this time I would play it. I even purchased about $150 to $200 worth of games that I could have bought on PS4 to give myself the reason to play. After about a month or two, it collected dust until I sold it to a friend who really wanted it for her sons. She fell on hard times and I wanted to help her out. So it worked out in a positive in the end. This is an interesting thing because I'm right there with you. I own an Xbox One X and I've played it a few times. And I'm like, oh, this is all right. But ultimately you end up in this situation where I think because it's so removed from the way that I typically play games that I'll look at it. And right now the primary use that it gets is as my 4K Blu-ray player which it's going to have less of a need for whenever the PS5 comes in. And then you have the other side of the occasional time where Donovan or Blake happen to hit me up and be like, do you want to play Sea of Thieves? And I'm just like, sure. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's honestly a, a, a strain on me. If I think about it, it's something that just sits there worth money. That's going to, thankfully I have the cyberpunk one. It probably won't drop in value just massively, but still. I don't know. Are there any rare, like, expensive last-gen consoles currently that were limited game editions? Yes. The Star Wars, speaking of Kinect, the Star Wars R2-D2 that, that had to connect in the Star and it was a 360. That, that thing's that, valuable? Yeah. Pretty sure. I gotta see this. The one that, like, R2-D2, when you beat it? Yeah, you hit it and go, whatever, you know? 
<laughs> I'm going to do a couple more from over here, and then we're going to go ahead and move along because this one's pretty interesting. Um, Josh Malago has one that I haven't seen people say. I had a phase where I bought collector's editions for most games I cared about, so I needlessly have the Assassin's Creed Origin statue, which is dope, and the Arkham Knight statue, which is cheap, plastic, and terrible. Hold on. There was an Arkham Knight statue? I thought that the Arkham Knight collector's edition was supposed to be the the uh, uh the Batmobile, Batmobile and, and it got, got canceled. canceled. Well, did you hold on? There's something weird with that. Did Am you I wrong? See it got canceled, but then somebody got one. That's wild. And they like like it looked cool. <laughs> it looked super cool. That's weird. He says that said, if anyone would like to buy the collector's edition of Arkham Knight for PS4, it is very cool and very good. The statue is very lifelike and definitely not mass-produced GameStop shelf fodder. You know, interestingly enough, there. Josh, I have the Arkham City Collector's Edition, and that Batman figure is actually fantastic. It's got a lot of small detail. You can see all the weaves of fiber in his suit. Um, I did not know there was one for Arkham Knight. You learn something every day. Dude, it kills me that this thing was canceled because this thing... Oh, I'm not muted. This thing was actually detailed. Oh, wow. That looks awesome. And it was like... It's modular. It's just like the game like where things can move on it. That is wild. And you know what's crazy? That would have been probably the coolest thing about the Batmobile in relation to Arkham Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really surprising. And there's LEDs on it? Yes. I mean, it looks so good. Nobody knows why this thing was canceled for real. For the real reason. I almost have to imagine it, it was just harder and more expensive to make than they initially planned. Yeah, because, I mean, the quality on it, that's probably one of the highest quality collector's editions I've ever seen. That is With wild. all the LEDs and how, how much you can move it. Speaking of collector's editions, they have good and bad parts. You probably can't see it on camera, though it's back here. Uh, Alduin is right back there for the Skyrim collector's edition. And the dragon itself looks phenomenal. The rock that he sits on that's supposed to be like the dragon stone that has the etching on it does not look like it even matches. It looks so bad. It looks like a it looks like a Nintendo 64 texture. I don't I, not okay, Nintendo 64 was not known for textures. Let me back up. It looks like a PS2 texture. <laughs> Weird. Interesting that it comes down to that. I want to do one more and let's see. We've already talked about Sega Saturn, so Ken, while I'll see yours, we know that Sega Saturn was just a weird weird situation. I think I think this was an Xbox thing. Oh. He did. He is an Xbox player a lot. I don't know, though. Because I only see it for, like, Xbox One branding. That looks pretty dope, though. <laughs> it apparently doesn't. Hey, Josh, hit me up with a picture of that Batman. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to grab one that I think is an interesting hot take here. Louise Miller, Lewis Miller, one of the two. Sorry if I mispronounced your name, buddy. He says, Monster Hunter World or Bloodborne? Understand a lot of people like those games, and I really wanted to, but they just really aren't for me. Ooh. Hey, you know what? I love both of those games, but I appreciate your honesty. I do too, man. (sighs) Yeah. In the wrong communities in the gaming sphere. Just listen. Give Bloodborne another shot. That can get you some dukes up, probably. I'm not that kind of person, so it just doesn't work that way To be fair, both of those games require a good amount of patience. They do. And uh, honestly, dude, Monster Hunter World is, is world class. It is. Game. Yes, it's it is. It's such a good game. If it was like, if, if Ryan, you, and everybody wanted to play it again, I would hop in there in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, I might download that when I get home. Because that should be a game of the year, or game of the generation contender for me. That is a, such a phenomenal game with such depth to it that, especially with just the multiplayer and everything, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think Monster Hunter World is a really interesting example of a game that 
surprised me way more than I thought it would, and a lot of people did too. But you know, that's the reality of gaming. It's not everything's for you, and sometimes you swing and you miss. But at least you that's swung. That's true. You know, I mean, the thing about regrets is like, regrets don't always have to be bad. You can look at a regret of like, well, at least I, at least I had it in me to do something that I wasn't sure about. Man, I kind of think I like that. I, I really want to look at the... I was so confused. I didn't know this thing came out. I like how some parts of his... Uh, uh, if you're curious, just Google Arkham, uh, Arkham Knight um, Collector's Edition. But uh, Now I got a message, Josh. S- some, parts are, some parts are a little glossy and some parts are matte. Well, which matches his suit. I can't tell if that's lit up or not. It kind of looks like it, doesn't it? It does. Standing over Gotham, that's pretty interesting. You know what else would have been a pretty cool one? You know in the Nightfall Protocol ending, you may have seen it. I, I'm sure you've Googled it at this point. Him without his mask on? Not him without his not a mask on, but whenever everyone thinks it, uh, well, look, it is what it is at this point. But he's standing in the alleyway, and then you see him kind of go up, and he becomes a big, real kind of bat. Well, yeah, a weird That's part. a cool screenshot, and that would have been a pretty cool statue. Yeah, if you could find a way to and, and a spoiler for the game, make that work. I, I'm trying not to say very much because ultimately it's a five year old game, but I still don't like spoiling. Um. Anyway, excuse me. This soda. It's good to show why I shouldn't be drinking soda. End of the news. End of the news. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. We have another you, great Rude one. Days. I'm glad. Yeah, Rude Days. Thanks for having a community driven community take. I like that. We have another one from Sean One Neo that we'll get into later. But going specifically into the news here, first thing up is Square Enix have reported a big loss for the company of 6.5 billion yen, roughly 63 million dollars in USD, in its HD games portfolio, citing the underperformance of Marvel's Avengers as a primary reason for this loss. While exact numbers weren't given, the title apparently only moved 60% of its planned sales. This is an interesting thing because it leads us to something that we actually kind of had a discussion with with one of our friends and listeners, Josh Shoot, in where. Uh, two weeks ago now, he thought that we were being a little unfair toward Marvel's Avengers, having not played it, which is a completely fair thing to say in terms of having not played it, how strong of an opinion can you truly have? And I just want to take this opportunity to say that I think that we may have been too hard on it. I don't feel like we were, and I feel like we gave a lot of reasons as to why we felt the way we did, even without having played it. I'm also a hard man to please. But also I think that the general consensus over that game being so mixed and ultimately having so many people continue to fall off despite the fact that the developers are actually fixing the things that people wanted. I think it goes to show that there's just an air of disappointment around the game in general. And uh, looking into it, a lot of it seemed to come from the beta. A lot of people really liked the beta, but there were problems with the beta where they're like, if they fix this, this game would be amazing. But then the game came out so close to the beta that they didn't have time to do any of the things. Whereas I've seen that there's a there's a sentiment that Square should have just been like, we see that you love the beta. We see that there's some things that we need to fix. We're going to delay the game another six months so we have time to work this in and make the game a real profit. A lot of people felt like this is a really weird thing to miss on because ultimately Avengers is a huge brand and a huge name to have, and yet this is a swing and a miss, whereas something like Spider-Man, which is a much smaller single character, just does massive numbers. Mm -hmm. And people are looking and saying, like, the the irony and somewhat sad irony is that Spider-Man Miles Morales will probably trump this game sale and this game sales in its first three days. Definitely since it's on PS4. 
Or I would assume it already have more pre-orders. Than the game had? Yeah. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. You know, one of the things that we kept bringing up was how this game had a mode included. I think that's why we kept saying, like, maybe we're being hard on the game, but I think we were being specifically hard on the idea of a looter-shooter in-game. You know, we weren't really talking about the campaign as much as it wanting to be this looter-shooter and launching with it, but in a state that most people don't think is refined enough. Yeah. So... Going back to that, if we're going to look at its looter-shooter aspects and its multiplayer mode, the weird thing here is that Anthem was brought up earlier. Anthem actually outsold this game. (laughs) What? If numbers are being... Of course, numbers have to be a little bit... Nobody ever gives exact numbers on these things, but if you look at expectations between these different things and you see how much it roughly cost them to make and what expected sales were and kind of pull the numbers, it looks like Anthem outperformed this game. In its same rough time period. Anthem, by the end of uh, the fiscal year that it came out in, had sold roughly 6 million copies, if I remember correctly. I could be saying numbers slightly wrong. Whereas I think this one sold roughly 3 million, which is not enough to cover massive licensing costs that go into it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Interesting to say. But I think, if anything, that's less of a thing about how good anthem was i think if anything this is more of a thing that people are more weary than ever about looter shooters right now because of how many have come and have not been what they promised to be in that aspect again this game is not only a looter shooter but in that aspect i don't think it was what people wanted and the sad thing is is a lot of the marketing seemed to be on that looter shooter side of it whereas if they would have marketed a lot more heavy on being a single player game with much more of a co-op focus within a single player setting um, or not single player at that point because it'd be co-op, but you know, within a campaign setting, it probably would have worked out better. I've seen a lot of people say that while the game is okay, it's not exactly what people wanted. And ultimately, I still will give the game a try if it ever goes down to 20 bucks or something just to have a quick campaign that I'm hoping is good. But ultimately, it's an interesting situation to be in. Next thing up on the news, Sackboy A Big Adventure plays a reverse to the trend we've seen in recent games where the game will be launching with couch co-op, but with online multiplayer coming by the end of the year. What we've seen often is games will launch with multiplayer intact, but then the couch co-op will come in a later update. Or not at all. Or not at all. So that's kind of cool. Also a little weird, because I think it does imply that this game... The interesting thing here is that online multiplayer on this game supports cross-gen, and I think what might be going on is that Sony's not quite happy enough with cross-gen to go ahead and launch it with online multiplayer, so they're leaving couch co-op in. But either way, I'm glad it's coming. And for those who really like couch co-op, at least you got it here. There you go. Um, next thing is it's been confirmed that the recent host of patches on PS exclusives was indeed to tweak the game's performance for boosted mode on PS5 with many games running at 60 frames per second due to the patches loading much quicker and sometimes seeing even a resolution boost. These titles updates are separate from traditional backwards compatible performance. Keep that in mind, considering that these patches are the primary reason to facilitate this behavior, but it does bode well for PS4's legacy, at least from an exclusive standpoint, moving on to PS5, you will be able to mostly play every PS4 big exclusive with a much bigger improvement and just overall performance. That's cool. That's a good thing. Uh, If you haven't yet, Digital Foundry has an in-depth thing where they look at backwards compatible titles, utilizing boost mode, but not with new patches that helped boost mode. You should go check it out. It's actually pretty interesting seeing how games perform. Most of it is really good. Actually, it's all really good. 
There's a couple of games that are interesting in how they react differently to the Xbox Series X's backwards compatibility. But across the board, it looks really well. So for games that did not get patches and have unlocked boost modes or games that were made with unlocked performance to begin with, like Sekiro runs at a perfect 60 on PS5. Oh, my gosh. And that game, apparently, I didn't realize, launched with an unlocked uh, unlocked frame rate. I could tell that. There's certain parts in that game that were really weird. Yeah. So I'm replay that game. I probably will because something about that game just didn't feel responsive enough to me because the combat's a lot quicker. No, I need to replay it for a game of the generation. Ah, yeah, yeah interesting. Okay. I want to replay it on PlayStation 5 just because I never beat it. And I'm wondering if it being a lot smoother. Because I think, you know, I mentioned that Second Son was one of the games that had a unlocked frame rate mode, and I tried it. And even though it never really dipped below 30 that I can remember, that moving constantly between 30 and anywhere to 45-ish was jarring, and I did not like it. So, that's cool. Glad to see it. Next thing, and this is good for a lot of people, in seven day brought the news that Mass Effect fans have waited all generation for, a remaster of the original trilogy. The remasters will be bringing a host of improvements such as 4K resolution, higher frame rates, seemingly probably 60 frames per second, though it'll be interesting if those are locked under certain versions of the console, and visual enhancements, likely bringing some kind of improved shaders, if not all new shaders. There's a decent chance that textures will probably be swapped out, at least for the earlier games. One being the worst offender. These titles will be for PS4, Xbox One, but will include targeted enhancements for PS5 and Xbox Series X. And they will be dropping spring of 2021. The announcement also included a promise for the series of the future, claiming that a, quote, veteran team within BioWare are hard at work envisioning the next entry in the RPG series. A lot of people thought that the series might be dead after Andromeda. I thought the way that they would approach this and it still might be the way they're approaching this, is to release the remasters to see how much love for Mass Effect there still is before starting work on another one. Them doing it in tandem probably just means that the other thing is in super early mode, and then once this comes out, if if it sells really well, then they know that they have a reason to move forward. Yeah, and without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, if you are a fan of space science fiction, you got to play these games. You will 100% enjoy them, I think. Um... I think one thing that surprised a lot of people, including me here, is that one is the roughest of the bunch. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people thought that this would end up getting the same treatment that we saw from the Mafia collection, where they remade Mafia 1 because it was just too bare bones to try and bring it up with a remaster. A lot of people were surprised that Mass Effect 1 didn't just get a full-on remake. I'm honestly surprised, too, but at the same time, I think that if they can reshader these games properly because i think that's where a majority of the problems came from was, sure. was texture pop-ins and weird spots and stuff like and, bugs and, galore and frame rate drops see i never had problems with bugs when i say bugs i should say that a lot of them are visual bugs okay characters just not being there characters being there but with clearly the shader not acting right so the lighting was way off on them or it would look like there was a crazy sheen on them when there shouldn't have been so you're right a lot of it does come down to the visual flair the game didn't have a lot of mechanic bugs no. that i can recall but it just was it was sloppy presentation yeah and I, I like the game too because it has it has almost like it's almost like also vocals like characters just stopping talking even though they're still talking yeah like suddenly their audio just cuts out and, and it's like okay i wanted to hear the rest of that but i guess i can't well there was a, it, those games did have a fair share of problems that I always saw. I never experienced that much of them. And I played on 360 when it came out, then on PS3 when it came out for a PS3. 
Um, but yeah, play those games if you like science fiction and if you like good writing, because the games have fantastic writing. And I think it's also important to note that it is very peculiar. I can't speak today. That the uh, devs wanted to focus on veteran team members coming back because they think I I think that they are aware of how bad Andromeda was. If you played Andromeda, do not think that that's the same or similar kind of game as the first three. So you know what's weird though is that one of the head writers for the first three games was the creative lead for Andromeda. So it comes to show that sometimes just bringing in veteran members doesn't always mean that it's going to bode well for the final product. Well, and I think some of the other questions that come in here is like Casey Hudson, which was one of the creative leads for the original trilogy, is the studio head now. So unless he's going to act as studio head and then still come in and do creative... It's, um, it's not that it's impossible. It's just... We've seen Bioware go from we're going to go back to being the Bioware who comes out with new experiences with something like Anthem, which even though it's way different from us, it's at least us trying our hand at something new. Swing and a miss in a lot of ways, sure, but it was something new. Now we're seeing them ever since Anthem has hit. It's been, we're going to do another Dragon Age. (laughs) And then now it's, we're going to do another Mass Effect. It's like they're really falling back on names that people know and love. They might need to do that, considering how bad their reputation is, is that they really need to come out with something that already has a built-in fan base that they can go, we promise that when you see this as a fan, you're going to love it. Hard to say. Yeah, and I mean, the problem with that, though, is that just because they're a creative lead on the team, it's not the same writers. It's not the same game engine techs. It's not, it's not a lot of the same things. Therefore, the game released in a much... like like we're, We call Mass Effect 1 buggy. I don't know what to call Andromeda because Andromeda was a mess. See, for me, Andromeda felt just like Mass Effect 1 in terms of the way bugs reacted. I played like 10 hours of that game, maybe less, maybe more, maybe like 12 hours max. And I forced closes, like three or four of them, uh, falling through the map three or four times, getting stuck in weird walking wow. animations. I played that game at launch and didn't have any of that. I, I played it after launch. That's the that, I like played it two, after launch. Two months after launch. And... and that's when it was patched, and I could tell. I played it probably a year ago, and it just, and it still didn't have any problems out of it. Uh-uh. That's a weird luck thing, yeah. But for me, it was just visual glitches and bad animations, which are very run of the mill for the first game. But clearly, it goes to be said that, I, as I've often said, not what you're talking about, but as far as what I experienced from Mass Effect Andromeda, if it wasn't Mass Effect game and name, I don't think that anybody would have been nearly as hard on it. If it was a new IP, people have been like, it's still not great. There's still some problems, but there's a there's a path forward to make a better game. Whereas instead, being a lot like Mass Effect 1, but being the fourth game in a very renowned series is not a good look. That's where I think a lot of their problems came from. I just, I don't know. BioWare has been a weird team, and overall, EA's history of acquisitions versus what the teams actually end up doing, it's it goes back to kind of what Saul was talking about last week, where when a studio gets bought by someone and then suddenly things change, you have to start having this thing of like, why what happened? And now the thing about EA is that Mass Effect one through three and Dragon Age one and Inquisition games that people love were all done under EA, but it's like every game we've seen. Every game after that, we've seen more and more weird stuff going on. Like you, you have a swing and a miss with Bio, with a Dragon Age two from Bioware, but then kind of a return to form with Dragon Age Inquisition. But then you have a swing and a miss with Andromeda, okay. But then you have a swing and a miss for a lot of people with Anthem. 
what really goes on moving forward? And is it just bad management within the studio itself, or does it have something to do with EA? I think it's a. This is one of the few times where I really think it's both, because I think a lot of Bioware's problems after Mass Effect Three come from the fact that all of their games had to be built on Frostbite, an engine that was not made for those type of games and had to be constantly adapted for that type of game. Like Inquisition, even though it came out and did really well, development was hell for it because Frostbite didn't have inventory systems because it was for racing games and sports games. What do you need an inventory system for? You have to go through and specifically fight the engine to try and make these things work. But yeah. there's also clearly mismanagement happening within the studio. And I wonder if it's because that EA, as a, co- as a company, cannot create management teams well enough i don't know or at least come in and step in at a studio they own and be like clearly you're having management issues let's get this tidied up so that we don't have these problems moving forward yeah it is what it is ea used to be somewhat respectable and now they're not yeah it's it's very odd I, i i'm curious to see if ea can return to a form of glory but it's going to have to be them doing more risky things because like you think about peak ea for me it's something risky like skate coming into a series when tony hawk is at its prime Squadrons. See, Squadrons is a really interesting example of them doing something that you wouldn't expect from EA. Yeah. But getting decent acclaim from it. So if we see them come back and have the ability to come and do something like a Dante's Inferno or another Dead Space, and I don't mean those games, but I mean new IPs that really are not what you'd expect from an EA game, that's cool. And I think for a lot of ways, that's what... And I know that you didn't have good experiences with it. But one of the things I think that made people really love um, Star Wars Force, uh, the well, I'm sorry, what is it? Star Wars Jedi, the Fallen Order, Order, was that it w- it did not feel like an EA game. No, it didn't even feel. It's weird because it didn't even feel like a um, the developer Titanfall developer. Yeah, respawn. respawn. It didn't feel like a respawn game. I, felt, I think it felt more like a respawn game than it did an EA game. Did this game launch at forty dollars? Yes, it did. Again, interesting move from a company like EA. Can you not view screen like... I don't know. Dude, yeah, just the new PlayStation Store. On the browser. I don't know what it's like in the app. I can't say yet. Uh, next thing up, though, Demon's Souls got new gameplay with a surprise state of play. Also, we got to see the game's in-depth character creation, uh, including remakes of the original game's options with many more options landing with 16 million permutations. This is one of those things where... I kind of hate that. It's cool that there's that many options for when you really just, but it's one of those things where a lot of these things are sliders. And is it really, a, I mean, I guess it is a permutation because every knock on every slider is a slight difference, but it's just like you're trying to put a big number out there for no reason other than look, you can make your character a lot of different ways. <laughs> it just turns into marketing buzz speak. But I will say this. I've never even remotely bothered with character creation in those games because it's always been bad. And they never look good, so why care? Cover it up with armor and move on about your day. This game's character creation actually makes me want to piddle around and make a character because they all look phenomenal. So Dark Souls Three and Bloodborne, yep, started the trend with like FromSoft's good character creations. Now, of course, you never saw it in Sekiro. Um, I'm curious as to what it's going to be like in Elden Ring because the gameplay for this looked fantastic. And I'm not going to lie, though, I skipped through the entirety of the character creation. I did not care. See, now, and it's interesting because I think you care more about creating what your character looks like than I do. But this is one of the first times I've seen a character creator outside of Monster Hunter World that was another one that I couldn't believe how well you could actually change your character. True. And at the same time, though, these these games here, like, it is true that you will always pretty much be wearing a helmet. 
or yeah. something. But at least see, for my character. I like one of the ideas they have here, which is if we're going to go through this much trouble to give you a character creation like this, then in photo mode, which is what we hope you use, we're going to give you the ability to take all your armor off or to take your helmet off in a screenshot so that there's a reason for you to look like this. I like that. That's cool because ultimately, why would you care what your character looks like? It's for you, but it's also so you can show other people how you've chosen to express your character. And if you can do that with a screenshot, which is how other people are going to see your version of the game, wouldn't you want it to be that you can take that helmet off and show? It's like, um, is I think it's Destiny. Can't you do cutscenes with either your helmet on or off? Uh, well, you can't. Well, you can specifically just have it so that your helmet is off in all non-combat areas. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, but that also ends up being that cutscenes have you not have your helmet on. I think so. But yeah. you could also have it where your helmet's always on. I think I think it even overrides it in some cutscenes because, like, I want to say the first cutscene of Destiny Two, it reveals that your character is the same character, which was not which, if you carried a character forward. Yeah, yeah, if you carried a character forward, which you did not know at launch. Yeah, and that was like a, a big surprise, and your character didn't have his mask on. Um, yeah, but for me, I like I'm, I'm not saying it's 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 I just don't care about it in Souls games because it's Fair. one of those that's I didn't see. I did like pretty much everything I saw though. Well, you know, when you think back to like character creation in Oblivion, which. Even though Oblivion had a lot of character creation, like interesting things about it, it actually looked a lot worse than character creation in Morrowind because you had more options and everybody had that weird rosy cheek look. Everybody had that in Oblivion too. That's what I meant was Oblivion. Okay, Morrowind looked better than Oblivion. See, I was gonna say by I never, nature of not having so many options. I played Morrowind like twice and did not like it. <laughs> we need a remake of, of Morrowind where you don't yeah, have fix to do the, the combat all. system. Yeah, <laughs> fix the dice roll combat system, and I'll play it. It looks play like it's cool, Lord. Do do uh, do more Oblivion, where I'll, you play I'll, in Oblivion's I'll, engine. Oh well, is that is that done or is it Sky Oblivion that they're making? Sky Oblivion, well, more more Oblivion still always in motion, but you can play and beat the entire game. How hard is this to do? Not that hard. You have to have both games, but you I probably have, do. I have Sky or I have Oblivion and Steam. I'm about ninety nine percent. As long sure. as you have Morrowind as well, you just have to have both of them, and it pulls assets from Morrowind to come in to Oblivion and their engine. It's really fun. I probably still have it active on mine if you want to see it. I do not have Oblivion. I thought I did. For oh, sure. yeah. You're right here. I'm dumb. It's Elder Scrolls. It's not just Oblivion. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of the Elder Scrolls, Todd Howard recently gave a little more hints towards Starfield and the Elder Scrolls 6 in an interview with Develop Brighton that you can watch over on YouTube. I really suggest that you watch it because surprisingly, throughout the entire interview, he does not hold back. They talk about engine issues that they've been known for having. They talk about the botched launch of 76 and so much more that he's completely open, doesn't push back or fight back on anything. He just says it. It really blew my mind. Um, So go check it out. It's just over an hour long. It's really cool. If you like Bethesda Game Studios, at least. It's really cool seeing a developer just be honest about mistakes. Anyway, in this, he said, firstly, that Starfield is a single player game with no multiplayer aspect. I'm assuming that the biggest reason they really felt the need to have him say this is because of fallouts move towards 76, uh, making people worried that they're worried about going towards a multiplayer standpoint. They are not for this game specifically. Interestingly enough, he does not mention the Elder Scrolls six here or comparing it to, um, elite dangerous. Sure. Yeah. Uh, both it and the Elder Scrolls six will be using procedural generation to create its landmass as to give it a massive scale larger than previous worlds. I'm hit or miss on this. I think a lot of worlds games do this, and I've seen it be good, and I've seen it be bad. The thing I don't know the answer of right now is, was Skyrim procedurally generated or not? I'm hit or miss on everything Todd Howard says years after or years before a game comes out. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, going toward, you know, when they started talking about 
engine issues they've had in the past. The creation engine that they've used since Skyrim has seen a major overhaul, with him calling it a bigger generational leap than from Morrowind to Oblivion. Who knows what that means? Oblivion was a much bigger scale than Morrowind. I don't know what they mean by that, but hopefully it just is a good thing. Lastly, he states that Starfield will take a while before it is officially revealed to the public, with Todd ironically stating that he doesn't feel comfortable talking about it, even though he just talked about it. (laughs) I don't like Todd Howard in interviews before the game comes out, because it it always just seems like no matter what, it's a grander scale than last time, and it's something we've never done before, and it's... Do you have a crack in your screen already? What? Your phone screen. No, why? Oh, I don't like whatever blue line that is at the top left. I thought that was a crack going down the screen. Oh, it's the PlayStation background. <laughs> it's in a bad spot. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of Todd Howard when it comes to, like, I think his humor's good, and like, it's all buddy and fun and games when it's at the games after. He's like, we had some bugs, and, like, we, 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 we browsed the internet kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, that's all fun and games after the fact. Don't, but don't tease me leading up to it that this is the biggest thing we've done ever and all that stuff. Of course it is. It's the next game and the next generation. You know, one of the things I liked about Ninja Theory in particular, whenever they were moving into developer Hellblade, diaries. was that all of their developer diaries were about like, what if we took everything that we had done before and actually just ro- like roped it in and went smaller? And I think that that's kind of cool. Whereas developers for open world games, it's always got to be that you went bigger, larger, and it just, you get to a point where it's almost like you'd rather the developer be like, going big screwed us up last time. And what we're actually going to do to try and make a better game is rope that in and maybe do more land because it's a space based game and you've got to be able to travel further because otherwise it wouldn't feel like space. But in terms of what you're actually doing, we've roped that in a little bit more to where it's a tighter you know, experience that actually feels good. It would feel more surprising from Bethesda Game Studios to say something like that, but I at least appreciate his candor in the interview and the fact that he's just willing to kind of say the fact that they've made mistakes and messed up, but ultimately that doesn't matter if you don't actually change what caused those mistakes to begin with. That's where we it remains to be seen. Yeah. So, uh, next thing up, more games have announced transitions to PS5 with Warframe being a big example. You can see huge population of like grass and fauna being changed load times are massively reduced with you essentially coming to a gate and then immediately opening as you'd expect so that is coming i think they said early next year but you'll be able to of course play the ps4 backwards compatible version looks really good if you're a big warframe fan or if you've never played it go ahead and try and jump in it's a good time to come in they make huge changes all the time much like no man's sky every time you revisit the game post update you're looking at a very different game uh, Codemasters, this is pretty interesting, has confirmed that it's in talks to be acquired by Take-Two. Discussions are still ongoing and nothing is final, but Take-Two states that the potential takeover would, quote, bring together two world-class interactive entertainment portfolios, end quote. Um, believing that their global distribution and expertise in publishing would greatly benefit the Codemasters catalog, the current price being thrown around is around $973 million. When I think about what Codemasters has... Yeah, I had to look... They have great games, but a lot of them are ones that I don't know that they'd touch. Like, if Take-Two bought Codemasters, will I get another Overlord game? Probably not. No. <laughs> I hope so. Probably not, for being honest. So, is what it is. All right, so the, a lot of what we have left is actually just in regards to PlayStation. 
in particular. A lot of it has to do with PlayStation 5, but a lot of it's PlayStation just specifically. So, Sony finally revealed a gameplay trailer for Destruction All-Stars. This is good. After many thought the delay made sense considering the lack of information on the game, the gameplay trailer that they revealed shows a game that is an interesting mashup to me of like a Twisted Metal burnout in terms of how the combat works, Rocket League, and then seasonal games that are like, you know, Battle Royales like Fortnite and Apex. What was really interesting is that if you would have told me prior to this gameplay trailer that you can have your car blow up and then eject from it and run around on foot and then overtake someone else's car, it does, I wouldn't think that from what they had shown at the time. But seeing it here, there's a lot of layers of gameplay that I really am of the, of the mindset here that if Sony does this right, and the developers actually, with this delay, go through and make everything the way it needs to be. And with it being a PS Plus game, this could be the next Rocket League. And Absolutely. This, and could be the next Apex in this big game that people play seasonally. And I'm really curious as to what that's going to be like. So I've went from being completely not interested in the game to being mildly interested. I still don't love the art style completely. It looks like it's trying to be a little too hip sometimes, but I, I appreciate that they're trying to do something that seems unique in a gameplay sense from it, how much things it's pulling together from. So Yeah, and I mean, it's it's this generation's... Um, I can't think of the name of the game series now. Twisted Metal. Yeah, I really still hope that there's another Twisted Metal. It's a shame that we've went an entire PlayStation generation without a single Twisted Metal game. I, I keep forgetting there was one on PS3. And it's really good. It's one of my favorite ones. But it's what it is. This next one, it's I think there's a big argument from both sides as to why it feels like this. But a recent Bloomberg article claimed that it seems Sony's interest in its homeland of Japan is waning due to a report citing info from a senior figure that management was disappointed by the underperforming of PS4 in the area. The leadership being primarily European right now. I think it's a big reason. The headquarters being in the U.S. as they just moved it to like San Mateo, I think. And it's also, if you look at, you know, the, the home console sales in Japan have dwindled and continue to dwindle. Couple this with the company's firm stance on censorship and how that disproportionately affects specifically Japanese games. And I think there's a lot of really strong reasons as to why this analyst not only views it this way, but why it would take this report from the insider to feel this way. Sony have bucked back against it, stating that, quote, home market, that it's, quote, home market remains of the utmost importance. But I really think Sony's done a lot to alienate themselves from Japanese gamers this gen. And I'm not really, they, they're, they don't have another handheld. I was going to say, they don't That's have a big deal for Japan. The Switch crowd. They're no longer supporting the Vita, even in Japan. It just doesn't happen. So they have less reasons for people to buy Sony consoles in Japan. They're censoring the games that are from Japan specifically and doing so at a rate that is different than what you see. And it's even more weird that they're censoring things in reverse. So in Japan, if I'm not mistaken, I, I really do want to double have somebody double check me if I'm wrong on this. But you can look it up. In Japan, they censored a scene from The Last of Us 2 where you pull out a, uh, you pull up one of the notes that you can find as a collectible and someone's drawn little penises and stuff on it. It kind of looks like something out of Superbad. And in Japan, it's completely different. They censored it in Japan, a culture that is known for having crazy video game stuff. And yet, also, you see a full-on sex scene happen and no problems within The Last of Us 2, but then you have a butt crack covered in Devil May Cry 5. Japanese games have been very disproportionately affected by censorship. 
Sony's censorship is just all out the window. It's so weird. And they act, and it's funny that they never really say anything in regards to it. It's just been like this secret back end thing that's like, this is our new policy. Yeah. And the only reason we know anything about it is because of developers speaking out on why these issues are coming up and why they're having to change things or delay games or any of that. So, uh, you know, words are one thing, but I think Sony's actions at the current moment do not necessarily seem like they have a lot of interest in Japan. And here's the weird thing. While I ultimately understand that it sounds bad to not have the country that you are originally from and that your company is based in be in regards to, you know, the market. Ultimately, if your market is at its smallest in Japan and you have a much bigger market in the Europe, in Europe territories or in the U S why not just say like we've you know our market we're trying to figure out ways to expand our market in Japan again but for now we are focusing on the US and the Europe and Europe because it's a pandemic year and we're seeing more sales in the US territories or whatever it be I just find it weird and I wonder if this is a Japanese thing where they can't just quite out say it or it's going to look bad to them from a Japanese standpoint I don't know I really am curious where it is on this but probably a pride thing yeah I don't know. It's very weird. Um, another bit of info re- revealed is the system level. Um, hold on. Here we are. I skipped, skipped something. something. I did. As more embargoes lift on regards to the PS5, it's been revealed that a long-wanted feature for PlayStation finally arrives with the PS5. The system shows playtime for both PS4 and PS5 games, interestingly enough, even showing the time spent on games you've not played on PS5. So if you've played PS4 games only on PS4 and then you get on PS5, you can see your times. This suggests what we've already thought, which is that this has always been happening and that for some reason they just wouldn't give it to us on PS4. We got those yearly mail-out things at the end of every year or the beginning of the following, rather, that gave you a recap. So that data was clearly being tracked, but it was never made available on the console side for PS4. Now, my question for this, for everyone, is... Do you think they actually save these type of big updates that people ask for and ask for, like trophy tracking, time tracking? Do do you think they save them for generational leaps to make the generational leap feel more significant? Or do you think there's real reasons as to why they have a hard time getting it going on PS4? I can only speculate the answer to that. I'm going to speculate the first one, um, but I don't know. Like, like it would seem that if their back end is this exposed, uh, giggity, um, that you could do it on the PS4 Pro or something, right? Like, it's just a number next to the game. That's what you'd think. But yeah, exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's what you would think. So it does seem like their only real reason for not doing it is to have a bigger jump. And I'm not saying that's wrong, because it does, by nature, end up making the, the PS5 feel like a bigger jump. It's like, oh, suddenly I can track my trophies and see how long I've played a game and do all these other things. Like, the next thing coming up, and this is actually pretty cool, is uh, they've revealed system-level preferred settings for games. So these options include settings for difficulty, performance mode versus resolution mode for games that do have those options, first-person view mechanics, third-person view things that you want to do, like being able to toggle uh, inverted controls automatically, and even doing subtitles and audio options. So Despite being at the system level, most of those settings require the game to support tapping into the system to pull this information and apply it. So some games will end up not working with it. But ultimately, again, is this something that they could have... Because we've seen system level overriding of controls. So clearly they've been able to do some of this. But I think that this one's a little more weird, right? I think this one comes down to developers having to support this. 
that's true across the board to a degree, right? The system can clearly count how long you've been playing a game, but I think trophy tracking, developers have to put that into the game. Yeah. But if you make that easy from Sony's side to where the creation suite just has it to where it's like, click this, and it'll allow the game to track trophies, then ultimately, why has it not been done? It does start to feel like the primary reason is just to give you a, a generational jump, and that's not a problem to well, me, not a, well, it's personally. Not a, not a problem to me, but it's... Weird that this is all that's included in most current-gen games anyways, except for the third- to first-person Switch. You get audio subtitles in all these games. Every I've never played a game where you couldn't do subtitles. Have you ever played a game where you have? I have never seen Actually, a game. Actually, a big thing from accessibility options that people that uh, the Spyro reignited trilogy got is that it launched with no subtitles. I actually did see that. I've but never played that. There though. are more games that launch without subtitles. See, I always, if I'm playing a story-based game, I always, first thing I do is... If it doesn't open up with like a grand uh, cinematic of any kind, and I could go through the settings first, I go through the settings, subtitles. change my brightness, and turn my subtitles on every time. Yeah. Um, and I can't think of a game that is that has popped out in my mind in recent this generation or before where I thought, "Huh, this doesn't have subtitles. That's weird." But a lot of games are coming with resolution or resolution, you know, uh, dynamic. Um, like what Demon Souls is going to have, you can play in true 4K at 30 cinematic mode, or you can play in fast mode, or whatever it's going to be, where it's it's uh, dynamic 4K, not native, and it's actually it is native 4K, by the way. In a video, they talked about it being native 4K, but that not every other thing from a detail standpoint is pushed as high, and there's no ray tracing. Well, even in the newest video, they said dynamic 4K. Did they? In the gameplay video. And that means I didn't, I didn't watch the gameplay video completely because I didn't want to see more of the gameplay since it's been a while. But not. in the developer interviews that the guy kept doing, one of the head people, I think it was the director for the game, he kept saying the game runs at 4K, but the other sliders for detail are not turned up. So it's like when they put it on 4K with HDR, all the other detail things are also cranked. That might have been a... Um I'm curious. I actually I went back to the exact spot, like the exact thing. Why are the subtitles so small, though? On YouTube. Um, and why is this in French? <laughs> what is going on? Either way, we'll definitely look into that. I mean, I, I don't know. From what, I, from what the director was saying when he was going around and doing the rounds talking about the game, he mentioned that the non-4K or the non-performance mode is still 4K, but that it's not cranked up to where everything's going. And I think that that's also true of Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man turns off ray tracing and turns down some of the uh, LOD and stuff but still re- renders the game in a native 4K. We'll find out. How do you change the subtitles like language? I don't know. Hold on. Here we are. Same guy. Right. Dynamic 4K. Interesting. And he's on my cinematic cinematic option here. So I, I this think is the same guy too. I recognize. I the love voice. his voice. Yeah. I almost, I almost think this guy is the voice actor for Patches. <laughs> I can't tell, but it would make sense because he's a FromSoft employee or whatever voice actor. This guy sounds. Well, this uh, is the well, director is, of the game. Well, I know, and this is Blue Point. Well, I'm saying the the actors, the voice patches for actor works for FromSoft. Yeah. Um, but that sounds like patches to me. Maybe if it was a little bit more high, his voice needs to be a little bit higher pitched. But anyways, go ahead. Either way, okay, it's apparently, I don't know, that's mixed mixed symbols on that. Blue point, don't do that. But yeah, I get what you're saying. The games have those things in. But on the system level, I could still be that I could still see it be that if you're not as talented of a developer and you're still new to it, that you may not have the workload to be able to have somebody go in and focus on making sure the game can tap into the system level 
and do this. Now, of course, you hope that Sony's made it so easy that 99.9% of games will utilize or be able to utilize this with minimal issue from any developer input. It's essentially click this and the game and anything that you have in the game, our system will be able to tap into. If it's difficulty, it's tag difficulty and our system looks at difficulty and goes ahead and sets it without you ever having to go to settings. That's a great idea. That would be wild. It's a good quality of life improvement if most games actually utilize this. So... We will see. That's kind of the thing that ends up being the the big what if there. Well, I, I was going to say that like that's kind of like my whole thing of like some of these are probably going to be implemented. Some of these probably are just going to fall by the wayside. We'll definitely see. Uh, this is something that's good. A question that some have had in reg- regards to the DualSense, including Saw, I think you mentioned it last episode, has been answered as all of the features for the DualSense can be either turned down in strength or can be turned completely off, something many wanted with the light on the DualShock 4 that they were never given. They were only given the ability to just turn it to dim. But you can turn everything completely off. This should help alleviate battery drain on the controller after some reports suggest that games that, excuse me, use the features that most tend to drain, uh, sorry, that tend to get, the games that use the features of the controller the most tend to drain the controller quicker than more standard game usage that doesn't quite as heavily utilize it. Uh, that game in particular is the game that everyone has gotten to play, Astro's Playroom, uh, in, in regards to the media. And people did mention that Astro's Playroom normally got them 8 to 10 hours of gameplay, and that when they weren't playing that, they got... 10 to 13 hours of uh, gameplay from the controller. And if you remember, there was a report that the or that Sony reported that the battery life on the DualSense was aiming to be about double that of the Dual of the DualShock. And for a lot of people the DualShock is about 4 to 5 hours. So even on the low end, you're getting about double. I don't think I've ever gotten 4, four Someone said hours out of mine. So I don't know if you saw it. Somebody put a report that they got 2 hours of battery life with Astros and Everyone else quickly came that had one. We're like, that has not been my experience at all. I, I forgot to tell you this. The, uh, so ever since me and uh, Ryan were playing Red Dead a couple months back, he said, like, I don't understand why people have problems with the DualShock 4 battery. Just charge it when you're done with it every time, and you'll always have a full controller. And I was like, well, you, I, my, my game room is so um, enclosed, I guess, or it's so uh, tied into everything. Like, that wouldn't be hard until I started doing that. Um, either my cable did this or my controller did this, but you know how on a USB plug, there is the housing that goes around it. That is much bigger. It's burned off. (laughs) And I don't know if my controller did it or if not, like it's, it's, it's definitely burned. So like your shielding has been burned through. Yes. Does it it still charge? Yes, but it won't. And I don't, I don't think this is my controller. I think this is the cable, but it will not stay in my controller. If I plug it in, and if I tug, it falls out. So your port on your controller could be loose. It's not my good. Well, that's what I'm saying is I I am I I think I think I tried another USB cable and it was fine. Okay. Because the way I have it routed is that where my PS4 is on the corner of my desk, I actually have my USB cable go through the cable grommet on top of the desk, so it comes out from underneath, sure. so that I don't have it on on top of my desk. Yeah, sure. And it's like a ten foot cable, so I don't know what what what. What happened there? But Ryan, yo dang near burned my apartment down. <laughs> Not really, because this has been like this for a while now. I just it, it probably just happened over the course of a night or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I really like the dock that I use and why, despite me not planning to buy another DualSense, I'm going to go ahead and buy the controller. DualShock? Uh, 
No DualSense. Oh, okay. For PS5, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy the controller dock because oh. I like that it's an official Sony product instead of an official licensed Sony product. You know, the dock that I have right now that my VR stand is on is a PDP Sony officially licensed thing, but I like that PlayStation is bringing all their stuff back in. You know, it's very odd the way that they've changed how they do stuff. Last generation, we saw very few official PlayStation products. Like that Sony made. Accessories were not made by Sony. They were almost in- exclusively, hey, we will license it to you. We'll make sure that it's a good product, but you're going to put it out there. But ultimately, it never ended up feeling the same as the PS3, where almost every accessory was made by Sony. And we're seeing that again with this generation. We're seeing day one, a headset. Day one, remote. a controller dock. Day one, a media remote. That's awesome. And I like that because the media remote for the PS4 is bad. The media remote for the PS3 is fantastic. I love it. I love my media remote for my PlayStation 4. But ultimately, it's a lot like the controllers. Like, what's the good of having officially licensed controller by Sony if you still have to end up plugging in something into USB to use it? And you can't even utilize the feature of turning your system on with a controller. It, it ends up having the situation where why... Would Sony not just do that, come out and say, we're going to build this controller. Here's your pro controller. You can still utilize it just like you use the normal DualShock for the PS4. Hit the power button. It turns the system on. Instead, on yours, you can't do that. Am I, am, right? When you were using your little NACOM controller. No, that's all I was going to say. The stupid part is, is that Astro, that is licensed through PlayStation, you still can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. All of those are licensed. Sony, I don't think Sony... Well, I guess that would be true. ...actively, like, like the Nacom one, the Razer one, and the Astro one, all are Sony licensed, and, and you, yet they don't work because they, for some reason, despite being licensed, they can't just attach into the normal Bluetooth receiving. And that's why I like when Sony makes stuff, because it's the same with those little media remotes. You end up having to do it in a very off-the-wall way, and it doesn't act the same way. The PlayStation 3 remote that I have from the media is great. Literally, if you hit any button on the controller, it turns on the, on the remote, rather, it turns the PlayStation 3 on. And then you never have to touch a, a, a controller. You do everything from the remote. So whenever that was our TV setup, when we still didn't have a smart TV in the bedroom, we had the Blu-ray remote there. Hit the button, turn the system on. There was not a power button or anything. You just hit a button. It recognizes that it's sending a signal to the PlayStation, turns it on, turns the TV on due to the blue, the blue whatever, it's not, it's not blue, the HDMI control that the PS3 offered. And it was a good setup. And I really liked that on PS4 in that regard and it's why I've never really gotten around to using PS4 as a primary media thing thankfully smart TVs have negated the need for that quite as much yeah but still it's one of those things which does kind of make me wonder why Sony decided now to go back to making media remotes on their own when smart TVs are more around than ever it's like you think someone's going to turn on their PlayStation 5 and waste all that extra energy to watch Netflix on the PS5 instead of just watching it on their TV Uh, maybe they will Maybe they will. We used to we used to use our PlayStation Four in the living room for nothing but Netflix, and then well, my wife wasn't using it to play games. Now we don't. There's yeah. n- there's literally no purpose in that. Whenever it takes me a lot less longer to just boot it up from my TV UI. Yeah, it's weird. Like my TV, my TV can be off, and all I do is hit the Netflix button. It's on, and it's on Netflix instantly. Yeah. Well, why would I, I bother? I don't use my Netflix button because sometimes it's like, what are we gonna watch? And we're like, we don't know. Well, like, let's go look at Netflix. Well, sure, and I understand that, but I'm just saying the speed of it comes down to like it's so much more inconvenient. Which it'll be better. To be fair, it'll be better with PS5. The system boots up way quicker. So maybe there's more of a reason to want to utilize it as a thing. I think the media remote probably comes down to the fact that it's got a 4K Blu-ray player in it. Finally. 
But it's doing that when 4K Blu-rays are kind of, I almost say they're on the way out, but a lot of companies, Disney being one of them, said we're not going to do 4K Blu-rays anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird. That's all another conversation for a different day, though. It is indeed. The last thing we're going to talk about in regards to the PS5 that came to light this week is if you were hoping to use an external hard drive as cold storage for PlayStation 5 games, which essentially means you wanted to hold the games on an external hard drive before transferring them to the solid state drive to actually play. The system does not support this feature while talking about memory. It's also been confirmed in line with Mark Cerny's remarks during the road to PS five video earlier this year, that the system will not be supporting expanded memory at launch. This is due to no official drives being supported as Sony have yet to officially test any drives to create its list of approved drives. This is smart. This is smart for a number of reasons. I understand that people are upset because Microsoft has expansion day one. But for the most people, you are not going to have memory problems very likely before the time period where they end up actually having the memory expansion available. Yes, it's turned off, but that's because they don't want people being able to shove any drive in there that may be too big, that may have a heat sink, that may end up doing something to the PlayStation. This is a smart, right way to go. And as for the cold storage... Why would it matter? Clearly, it can't play the game. I, I was—I found it interesting that people seem to care about this. Saul, you—you you use external hard drives sometimes, and you—you're all digital, so you have more of a reason than anybody. For you to end up getting a game on your hard drive, you—it's not as simple as install, uh, putting the disc in and then letting it install from the disc. For you, it's going to primarily be that you have to download it. Why would you say that's not as simple? It's more simple to download it. Ain't you, it? What I mean is that it requires your internet. And internet's yeah. the big in-between on this. So if people aren't trying to drain their potential, or if they're trying to divvy up their their bandwidth that they have and go, hey, I want to use this much data this month, this much data that month by downloading and putting on my HDD this game. I understand that, and there's still the benefit that comes from being able to control when you're going to use your data, which you still can do now, even with what they have. It's just you may not be getting to play a game when you thought you were going to. But... I find it very weird that people wanted to put a game on HDD and then transfer it to the SSD instead of just downloading it or putting the disc in and letting it install the SSD. It's going to be the same amount of time oh, I'll tell you why. for a lot of people unless you have really bad internet. I'll tell you why. It's because that you could get like a two terabyte external hard drive for like $35 during Black Friday. Yeah, and I, Whereas, I get that, but you can't play the games from it anyway, so why does it matter? Well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that you can on PlayStation 4. Sure. And I think this is why people would be upset with this is that – you can easily go buy a massive size storage uh, space for an external and use that for a really cheap price. Yeah. And then, you know, you, now you can't so that they think that is, well, I mean, I, I say they think, but that for them, they are getting a feature taken away from them. Sure. And that SSDs are prominently more expensive. And that is going to be the thing too, is that Sony has yet to release what SSDs work. We yeah. don't even know if they're on the market yet or not. Yeah. Um, they might be on the market right now. Well, we there's, there's very few, Drives that are even of there's very, okay, there's first of all there's just very few of the drives in general that are PCIe Gen four um, NVMe. There's not a lot of them on the market in general. That's thirsty. Then there's not there's even fewer that are on the market that are even within the dimensions of what the PS4 or PS5 rather expansion slot is. Then you have to deal with do they have heat, heat sinks on them? Does the heat sink let them fit from a depth perception? You could take heat sinks off the M.2 drives. Well, you can, but some of them require it because of the way that they're basically set up. Well, you would think so, that, that you that you would think that taking a heat sink off, you're taking it off because you're you're it's it's in you're a putting heat, it in something that it's would be, in a cooling um, yeah, like a cooling thing on your on your um, 
motherboard. Is sure. there not going to be a cooling thing on the PS5? Actually, I'm pretty sure they didn't illicitly say it whenever they were going through the, D, the teardown. But if you look at where the expansion drive is in relation to that fan, it's very close. So I think it's going to be moving air to it before everything else because they understand the SSD will get hot. Yes, they get very hot. Um, but the thing is, is that there is one and only one M.2 drive on the market that is the exact same specifications for the PS5 that, that is faster than the PS5's is. Um, and it's by it's by a margin that doesn't really matter. It's like 0.3 gigabytes faster or something. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. If I'm not mistaken, isn't it the one that says on the packaging that it's PS5 ready? No. No, nobody knows, and that's what it's upsetting people. It's because uh, that, that I want to say that Samsung did put it on there. And then they took it off. And then people were mad because they don't know if they bought it. For okay, a- it wasn't Samsung. There was one that was WB. Uh, oh, that, no. Nah. Oh, not WB. What is it? W- Western Digital. Western Digital, uh, yeah. That they said it's PS5 ready. And by all things, it should be. But ultimately, like Mark Cerny said, they don't want people going out there and buying drives because Sony did not say not to. And then being like, I bought this drive and it doesn't work or it messed my PlayStation 5 up. By Sony being like, wait for us to release an official list of things that we know work, at least until the majority of drives work, then you can get to do it. Yeah. I think that's a smart way to go about it. And I don't think that it'll be long before Sony has at least one to three options that'll fit for people who really do need it in the coming months. Well, and for me, I'm one of those people. I don't stress out about space at all because here's the thing for me, it is not convenient or not as inconvenient to, have to redownload something if I'm not using it because then at that point it's just it's it's just time that I could do I sleep or something it is not that big of a deal for an example my iPhone my iPhone is I I don't remember what the size of it is it is the 64 gigabyte version iPhone and I have all the apps I'll need I have all the pictures and stuff I take and all, all the videos and stuff I do and it's 46 gigs left if I run out of gigs, I'm going to find apps I seldomly use and delete them. I'm not going to panic and freak out because there's no expansion. Um, the same goes for my PS4 Pro. If I'm running out of room, I will delete a game I haven't played in a month. Because at the at the end, what did that cost me? Oh, time to just download it again. It's not inconvenient. So for me, it, it's really waiting to see if compression is better for the sizes of PS5 games because people are freaking out that it's 825 terabytes and uh, terabytes? Oh, gig- gigabytes, gigabytes, and people are freaking out that it's that and it's only. I think somebody said it's like they think it's going to be like 600 something after OS and everything. So it's actually it's like 670 something with Astro installed. And thankfully, you can actually delete Astro and get you up above 700. Yeah, so and like I remember se- 700 gigs for me, like uh, there's a terabyte in my PlayStation 4 now. I don't use a terabyte. Yeah. I have Red Dead. Literally, I-, I can tell you the top five games I have installed, and there's more. But I have Dark Souls 3, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, Bloodborne, Red Dead 2, Grand Theft Auto 5, Call of Duty Warzone, not, not the full game, but Just Warzone, Warzone yeah. Hollow Knight, and... That's it. I know I still have Mortal Shell and others, and I'm nowhere close to a terabyte. Dude, I have a two terabyte because I have the special PlayStation that came with a two terabyte. Yeah. I have a two terabyte. 
I cannot remember the. I, I actually I don't think I've ever had to delete a game that I just didn't finish the game and go. I'm never going to play that again. Or if I do, it'll be worth redownloading. So I just delete it. Like when I get a platinum in a game, I normally delete it. But there are so many games that I just have. I have Anthem installed. I have Destiny installed. I have uh, Warframe installed. I have Red Dead Two installed. I have Call of Duty Warzone installed. These are all big games. I can't think of. I have The Last of Us Two still installed. Because I was going to go back and get the Platinum on it. I did delete Ghost of Tsushima. I'll give it that. But I have so many games. I have No Man's Sky still installed. So when you think about that, like, and I know that there's, when I go to my installed games list, there's like 97 games. And I have not had to delete anything ever. So I understand. But, you know, going back to your compression thing, and then we can kind of round the episode off. But the thing that was interesting about the compression is that looking at early examples, I think that there's poor examples like Call of Duty. Um, Black Ops, that is going to be a, a poor thing where it looks like the back of the PS5 case calls that it needs 286 gigs to install. But after it installs and it uses its compression algorithm, from what I've seen, I think it goes down to like 127 gigs. But then a better example of a PS4 and PS5 game, the uh, Miles Morales on PS5 has much higher resolution and higher quality access, uh, assets across the board right. alongside that. And it comes in slightly under the PS4 version. Then the remaster of Spider-Man on PS5 that also has much higher assets. And again, as a PS5 game actually comes in, I think like 10 gigs under the original PS4 release, despite being the same game with higher quality assets. So I think this new compression and the not having to repeat stuff on the SSD near as often as they did with HDD is showing real returns to where games are coming slightly under or right on the money while still using much higher quality assets. Yeah. So, so like if nothing else, games will remain similar sized. Also, not a lot of people know that the PS4 requires that too, of like what you said about Call of Duty. The buffer. Yeah, the, it, it has a it, the buffer is roughly the size of the game. So you have to have a like if you're downloading a 40 gigabyte game, your PS4 almost requires 80 gigabytes, and just call it 80 gigabytes because it's probably going to tell you you're going to need 80 gigabytes. Yeah, I think that games across the board have done a, jo- a done a poor job of communicating that with people who don't understand that because I will constantly see people going to ask PlayStation UK since ask PlayStation never answers and <laughs> they sure don't <laughs> and never putting something saying, Hey, the game says that it's 96 gigs and I've got 98 gigs free. Why won't it let me install? It still says I don't have enough room. Well, that's why you don't have enough room for the buffer and they have done a poor job of communicating that. And I think some of that has to do with the, play, the way the PlayStation 4 has to install. So when I actually look at Call of Duty, I think what's happening is that the PS5 version of Call of Duty, I don't think is as optimized for the SSD as it should be. So it still requires that buffer when I don't think that the PlayStation 5's SSD will require as much of a buffer as HDDs require because of the way that PlayStation 4 has to install games. And Mark Cerny kind of talked about that in that Road to PS5 video where it's just like with a patch. If a patch says it needs 10 gigs, sometimes it'll still say you don't have enough room because the way it has to work is it has to download and then reinstall a whole game with this new thing on top. Which is archaic, but it's necessary. For the PS4's hard drive. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing moving forward, but essentially there's a lot of stuff involving PS5. Uh, in case you, for some reason, didn't see, and just because I think it's crazy and I want to brag on myself a little bit, I want a PS5 from Burger King. <laughs> I, and I'm buying it, so there's that. I've never won anything besides, again, this Burger King thing has been very nice to me. I want a three-month PS Now code. 
it doesn't come for another four to six weeks. I'm a little worried that the PlayStation 5 doesn't come for four to six weeks, but I'll find that out. That puts it in the realm of Christmas, though, so that may be a Christmas gift to myself. There you go. Hey, I'm taking my vacation the week of Christmas, too, so hey, if that lines up perfectly. There you go. It yeah, Brent may was, work out. Brent was like, you want to buy it from me? And I was like, 400 I'm like, no, meet me in the middle of 450 So I'm in. I'm, You're I'm, lucky. I know. I feel that way and that we do this show because I promise you if this happened any other way, I'm not the kind of person. I would have bought it for $500. i am not the kind of person to buy and resell from a uh, scalping standpoint, I don't do that. I don't like that. If I buy something, decide that I don't need it, and then sell it for a profit, that's one thing. But I've never once bought something with the intention of only having it to sell. Yeah. But in this case, where I got a free system, you bet your ass if PlayStation Vibes are still really hard to get by the time it got in and then we weren't doing this show and I didn't feel like there was a reason for you to get one and or you didn't want it, whatever it be. I would sell that thing for $1,000 in a heartbeat so if someone up. would buy it. That's so messed up. Now, of course, somebody would buy it, <laughs> but that's so messed up. Now, again, I sold, just to go for example, I sold my other PS5 pre-order to one of my local friends for exactly what I paid for it. I'm not, I am not in the markup business, but if I get something for absolutely free, you bet, you bet I would sell for a profit. Great example. Today we find out Brett's a scalper. The Last of Us had a poster at the PSX, the last PSX that me and Blaze went to, and I went through the line and got an autograph and everything and just got one. And I was like, this is cool to have. Got home, found out that poster sold for about $200, and I was like, the poster is cool, but $200 is a lot cooler. (laughs) $200 is $200. So there we go. So, into the last part of the episode like we normally do. We're going to do our community's take, and this one was uh, submitted to us by our boy, Sean One Neo, over on Twitter. And he says, and wants to find out y'all's answers, too. Who is, or what, is the best NPC companion in a video game? And it's the most useful. So, it could be dog meat from Fallout. It could be 9S from uh, Near Automata. It could be Donald and Goofy from Kingdom Hearts, but we know that's nobody's real answer. Kingdom Hearts 3 no, solved that problem. No. Almost completely. No. It could be any answer. It also, be, Mickey from from the three, the Birth by oh, Sleep yeah. 0.2. He healed like a mofo. He did. He, he was, was great. Uh, Mickey gave me hope that Goofy was going to be great. He wasn't. <laughs> Anyways, do y'all know where you can answer that question for us? Well, you can do it in the YouTube comments down below if you're watching on YouTube, which we air every video episode on uh, Mondays at 10 p.m. No, 10 a.m. Central Time. Noon Standard. No, I got that reverse. I'm dummy. Noon stand, noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Or you could listen to us across all podcast services. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at TriangleSQRD on Discord at our link in the description below on YouTube and podcast, and of course on our Facebook group, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. And you can answer this question, and you can have your answer featured live on the show. And hey, if there's an episode, if there's an episode goes by and you answer it and it doesn't get read on the show, don't let that discourage you because we'll almost always get to you at some point. I don't think there's ever been one person to ask a community take that we've never gotten to. Yeah. So we, we we've been prideful on that, but. As we close out, we want to thank everybody for tuning in, letting us have criticisms. Like last week where Dylan Kirby said, I cut you off so much, even though I felt like no matter what, I get cut off a hundred times. I think we just cut each other off a hundred plus times an episode. So I think that's just the nature of our conversations and our friendship. We're uh, more mindful of it now you than You just ever. did it to me. and I just did it to you. I waited for a time, but we're more mindful of it now than ever. Yes. I and, feel like. And, uh, 
we like I, we asked for criticism. We got it. So I appreciate that, Dylan. Um, do we know Dylan in real life? No. Okay. That name sounds really familiar. It's been one of our patrons before, so thank you for that, Dylan. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, but go ahead with your game. Oh, you want me to? Yes. I just want to mention that there is benefits to listening to the show all the way through to the end. Uh, one of the actually the only person who sent his costume and it was his family being all Star Wars out with his child being Baby Yoda, very cute. Our but our good buddy and patron, Mister Porter, you get Kingdoms Vamalor by nature of being the only person who have done it. So you win by I default. Will, I will reach out to you. I wanted to wait until the episode to give people a little more time, but one week is plenty of time. You won, good sir. Congratulations. Congratulations. And congratulations to all of our Patreons because they are the best people of the world for supporting this show. And remember, you could join just for a dollar a month and you get this show in all of its glory and you get to support it. And you could know dang well that those lights in the background, this print that we had made, the lights that are lighting up our beautiful faces, that's all brought to you guys from the help of all of you. So thank you all. And... You get you get your name right out on the show at the end of every episode, just like right now. Check it out. Thank you all. <laughs> See you guys next week. Thanks to our patrons, Kyle Grimm, Josh Terrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Baconbits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Blow, Stephen Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B. Richard Schaefer, and last but certainly not least, even though for some reason this app keeps logging me out, we have a new patron, Mr. Rich, and he is over in our Discord as well. Thank you. We appreciate you becoming a new patron. And if you'd like to support the show, head over to Nartech, or rather, patreon.com slash Nartech. Thanks. Boy, I can't wait to make Garrus my gay lover.